Is sympathy ever a warning sign? There's a common assumption that narcissists lack empathy, which actually isn't true. In this shortened version of the podcast, I discuss with a live audience the difference between instrumental and compassionate empathy and how we can be tricked into thinking we've met a healthier person when actually this is someone who's toxic and maybe even dangerous. Next week, we will resume our normal length of podcasts with Tara and I, and I can't wait to see you back next Monday. I've been talking to someone new this week who is in a very toxic relationship, in a very dangerous relationship. And it's got me thinking a lot about covert narcissism and how we end up missing it. I think that covert narcissists are any more deadly or dangerous than normal narcissists. But what happens is that we get taken in by them and we miss the early signs that we've met a narcissist thinking that we've met somebody who is more like ourselves. So we make assumptions about this person because that the way that they initially present is so profoundly similar that we miss the initial signs that we've met someone who's very toxic. So let's talk about covert narcissism, why we miss this, how can we better recognize the signs. And, and maybe you have some people in your life right now who seemingly so-called are your friends who are actually quite narcissistic. One of the things that really profoundly changed my view on this is when I learned the difference between compassionate empathy and instrumental empathy. Suddenly, it was like everything clicked and made sense. So I want to talk more about what that is and how we end up thinking when we meet somebody who seems so emotionally connected, so powerfully like us, that we we miss the signs that we've met a narcissist and not somebody who's functional, who's emotionally functional. So what is covert narcissist? Another term you're going to hear is vulnerable narcissist or fragile narcissist. Normally, when we think of a narcissistic person, we think of somebody who's sort of the life of the party. Yes, there are women who are covert narcissists as well. I think that probably women look more covert-like when they're narcissistic because they're going to be using more passive-aggressive tactics. They're going to be using more of their feminine wiles. And that may look like a covert narcissist, but I just think it's, it's related to the genders. I don't think it's really related to the type of narcissism. We know that there are more male narcissists than there are women narcissists. And partly, I think, again, that socialization I think it's a little more acceptable for men to sort of be this outward, larger-than-life person, uh, but I, I don't think that necessarily means that there aren't lots of pathological women. Part of our problem is that we, we have gotten so used to identifying men and seeing male narcissists that we've really misunderstood the female narcissist, and we don't recognize when we're seeing symptoms of it. We don't recognize that. Here's one way to kind of test this. How many people have complained about narcissistic moms? A lot of us do. A lot of us do. So if there are that many narcissistic moms, then that means there are that many narcissistic women. So why are we not talking about narcissistic women who are dating or narcissistic women as friends? Why are we not talking about that? I think it's because they hide better. And then when we start to see them raise children, the narcissism becomes more, more prevalent more observable, and then we end up seeing it at that state. Let's talk about narcissism. 
And then let's talk about narcissism in the sexes, how it kind of shows up in the sexes, but then also let's then talk about narcissism and how it shows up covertly versus overtly, because we have all these dissections, all these differences, and I want to make sure that we talk about that. Narcissism, if you look at the DSM-5, the criteria, there's nine criteria. You need to have five positive in order to be diagnosed. Primarily what it's describing is someone who is prone to jealousy. They think they're special and entitled. They think the rules don't follow to them. They tend to be exploitive in their relationships. They tend to struggle with the perspective of other people and having intimate relationships because they, they struggle with empathy and the ability to relate to another person's emotion. And this is where it gets into danger because it's not that they don't have empathy. It's not that they don't. It's that the way in which they're using their feelings, their emotional experience is different than the typical person. Like I said at the start of this, one of the things that really profoundly shifted my worldview, because when I met the narcissistic ex that I was in a relationship and I wrote about it in the book Love You More, he was emotional. I mean, he he would look at his his photos of his young children, his young child and cry. When I would give him a touching gift, he would be very moved about it. When he was upset, he would connect around that. He talked about things that he regretted. And that confused me. I had assumed that narcissists are devoid of emotion. They're devoid of empathy and they're devoid of sensitivity. And that is not true. But what's different about narcissistic, and I also would say this is true of a lot of cluster B, is that they they have what's called compassionate empathy versus, I'm sorry, they have instrumental empathy versus compassionate empathy. Compassionate empathy is when you share something with me that's powerful like say a Hallmark commercial, we watch it together and it's really moving and I tear up and respond to that and I feel some sympathy for it or I feel emotionally moved. That's example of compassionate empathy. So for example, if uh, you heard that I was really sick a few weeks ago and you reached out and said something to me and you said you were concerned about me, you are showing compassionate empathy. A lot of people have empathy in the sense of they it's called mind mapping. That's what Dr. David Snarf said. He said, by the age of four, we're able to get into the mind of another person and anticipate their responses. That's why four-year-olds or three-year-olds start to lie. They know what their mom and dad's up to. They know what they want to hear. And they sculpt the answer in their immature fashion to fit what they think their parent wants to hear in order to get out of the situation. They're already being manipulative. <laughs> manipulative. A lot of us have empathy, but it's what we do with our empathy. So that's where instrumental empathy comes in. Instrumental empathy is the ability to know what somebody else is experiencing in a particular situation, and you use it manipulatively, exploitively to your advantage. And that's what a lot of us are seeing in narcissistic people. We're seeing them anticipate our move. For example, here's one of the big ways a lot of us get played. We like to believe in the goodness of other people. And we like to give people as many chances as possible. And we really believe in loyalty and commitment. They know this about us. They anticipate this about us. And then they use that strategically in order to keep us to the relationship. That's why breadcrumbing is so effective. The minute they sense you starting to pull back or pull out, they then do something that gives you hope or makes you feel like maybe maybe they really are doing all the hard work that they say are doing. They do something that's reminiscent of the love bombing phase that makes you get kind of like 
believe in the possibility or begin to dream about what could or think that maybe that the therapy is working and then you stay longer as a result of that. That's an example of using instrumental empathy, the ability to 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 sense to sense what's happening with you, to sense your pullback, your disengagement, your detachment, maybe you're growing apathy. They sense that, they sense your frustration, and they instrumentally use it in order to keep you in the relationship in order to control you. And a lot of you are saying, well, why would they do that? Because maybe they're done and they've they're been mad at me and they're really critical of me and we're having fights all the time because they want the relationship on their conditions. They don't want you leaving when you're ready to leave. They want to leave when they're ready to leave. They need to have control. So they may not be happy with you. They may be completely bored or disenfranchised or completely disillusioned with you, but they want to leave on their basis. They're not going to have you hurt them or reject them or or get out. They don't want to lose control. So they're going to do things in the way in order to maintain the relationship. So. Yes. So you'll see empathy. That's the big piece. We often think, oh, they're just cold hearted monsters. And they're just, yes, they do cold hearted things for sure. For sure. And some of them have more higher stats of sadisticness. You're going to see more ruthlessness. Absolutely. But, but they also have the ability to know what's going on with you in an incredible way, probably better than you are knowing what's going on with them. They probably have a better radar for that. And so they, they're able to then maneuver things sophisticatedly in the direction that you need in order for them to keep you on the hook and on the line and stuck in the relationship. When we see sensitivity, we think, oh, this person's healthy. We think they have emotional sophistication. Look, it's a sign of a high EQ. No, what you're seeing is someone who's very strategic and probably predatory. They're not faking the empathy. They're not faking it. What they're faking is their investment in you. They're faking that, it, that it, they care about you. So when they show up and do these breadcrumbing moments, like what mine used to do is he used to doing something he shouldn't have. And it was on a weekend because he had this mindset of weekends or to do things that he wanted to do. So what he would do on Sundays, he would go and take me to brunch and then buy me a gift, an expensive gift. Why? Because he sensed that I probably thought the weekend didn't go well, that he was disappearing, that he wasn't really around, something was wrong, I wasn't happy. And so he would catch my feelings and then do something to lead me on to make me think that we had the relationship, even though it really wasn't all that good. Mine would actually have full-blown panic attacks. And by the way, I, as a psychologist, I know what panic attacks are. I've had them personally. I've witnessed them. They were real. So how could somebody who supposedly had no empathy, be able to pull off a panic attack. That, to me, is the amazing part of this. Now, was it in the same level of distress? Was it causing them kind of the remorse and regret that it would cause me, you know, because he would have panic attacks about something really bad, like being caught about something. And then suddenly he would melt down and like, oh, you know, I'm such a bad person. I think what's happening there, and I'm going to make some guesses, I think that what they do is they're able to compartmentalize their emotions so sophisticatedly, so well, that they're able to sort of tap into that shame piece and react, but they're also able to sort of box it, put it away, and have it disappear once it serves their purpose. So I do think there's those moments where they're authentically present with themselves, but I don't think these are long-lasting and have a profoundly impactful 
change. It doesn't lead to true remorse and true regret and true shifting and changing of themselves. Did you find understanding the differences between types of empathy helpful in recognizing narcissism? You can let Tara and I know by emailing us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrytara.com. If you haven't yet, make sure to follow, subscribe, and write us a review. And maybe you know somebody who would benefit from this episode. Make sure to share it with them. If you're not following us on social media yet, you can check Tara out at tara.relationshipcoach and meet at Carrie McAvoy, PhD. And we'll see you back here next week.